Welcome to Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding. It is the 13th of September, uh, 2017, and this will have been recorded on 9-11, so we're going to hit that subject a little bit a little later. Um, but I have the, uh, the pleasure of having on Shane Radliff of the uh, Liberty Under Attack podcast, and he has a few projects he's going to talk about, um, but I, 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 I listened to him discuss prepping the other week, and it was, uh, it was a very informative uh, listen, and I would advise that everybody check out what he does and, uh, and the breadth of his work, and uh, I just thought it'd be a, an appropriate guest so that we could uh, discuss like appropriate uh, prepping strategies and what best makes for a good prep and uh, also give him a chance to discuss his seasteading project and uh, his podcast, what he does, and a little bit of conspiracies. So perfect day to start that with 9-11 uh, being the record date. How you doing today, man? <laughs> I'm doing well. I definitely appreciate the invitation to come on and chat with you. It'll be, uh, it'll be a good time. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, because for anarchists, a good time is discussing government corruption freely. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, I wish I wish we didn't have to discuss that, but uh, uh, but you know, I, I do enjoy uh, you know uh, uh, you know complaining about the state. It's a it's a it's a good time. It's very therapeutic, as I'm sure you can understand. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so, anarchy is sort of like atheism when related to government, in that you know when when there eventually is a government free society, if there ever is, um, it'll probably be pretty global, and uh, there won't be many governments to fight. So those of us who spent most of our life on that sort of fight won't have as much to fight for in any given day. We might not know what to do. We might have to take up backgammon. <laughs> I've thought about that, too. I've, I've thought about that, too. I, th I think it's probably unlikely that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, honestly, not, not a pessimistic view at all. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think there'll ever be a free society or in, in Kapistan or something like that. But that's, that's not a pessimistic outlook. I just think, uh, you, know, uh, you know, personal freedom uh, is, a, you know, a more worthwhile goal. Uh, and obviously, when we get when we get into prepping, uh, that will definitely uh, you know kind of uh, you know make up some of that uh, at least. But yeah, I've, I've thought about that too. It's okay. So what what if what if we do get to uh, Ankapistan? I mean, what what are we what are, like what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of interesting to think about. You know, I, I think that'd be a good problem to have though. Well, yeah, I mean, because well, first off, I am a pessimist. I don't know if you've uh, if you've looked at my other stuff, but. I have no problem with pessimistic outlooks in general, and my pessimistic outlook is that people are too intentionally naive to, uh, to ever make the decision to, uh, to, to form uh, widespread free society. And, and, you know, it's because they've chosen their entire lives um, at the guidance of their elders to accept the status quo with regard to authority structures. And there are very few people who've actually chosen to step away from that and say, you know, this Prussian school system that was designed to indoctrinate people and get people running toward bullets for the government, that's not my bag. 
you know, but most people aren't going to do that. Most people are going to learn that, you know, Christopher Columbus discovered America and he was a peaceful, chill dude who just wanted to sail. And, um, you know, that the Revolutionary War was fought for our freedom and nothing else. You know, the Bill of Rights being tacked on was because people wanted to be nice and not because they didn't not plan on it for the be for the beginning anyway, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, people people are much more inclined to just believe what they're told, memorize what they're told will get them good grades, and, you know, go participate in, in the society that they were born near, um, instead of actually choosing to separate themselves from all of that and think for themselves. So, you know, I don't mind a pessimistic outlook because I'm, you know, I'm a cynical asshole, so that's not a problem <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, that, that's 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 good to hear. That's good to hear. But uh, you, you, what you all that you said was was definitely correct. I think there's something else too, and it's uh, you know a lot of people have vested interest with with the state. They they benefit from it, yep. uh, whether it's uh, you know through welfare, whether it's through uh, you know uh, uh, it's it's the outlet where people can actually you know assume these positions of power uh, over others. Uh, so I, I think there's also kind of that vested interest. You know, some people might know, uh, okay, yeah, this apparatus is evil, but uh, I can use it to achieve my ends. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's a, at least a little bit of a factor for at least some folks. Well, of course. I mean, you know, the, the standard question without government, who would do X, implies that without a government, you know, seeding the Middle East with with depleted uranium, there wouldn't be roads. Um, without uh, a giant uh, apparatus of of banking corruption, there wouldn't be schools without. Um, bailouts to the to the one percent. There wouldn't be um, health care without um, without the military. There wouldn't be defense. Without the police, there wouldn't be protection. You know, people don't realize that the power to do these things is in their hands as long as they're willing to actually fight for it and use it when they can. And um, you know, that's that's primarily because of the incentives that government has convinced people they can get nowhere else. So I think one of the primary tasks for anarchists is to, you know, provide a better incentive, provide a better a better outlet, provide something to, to get people away from that and to, pointed towards a stateless society, at least in their own mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pre, you know, presents, uh, you know, anarchists, you know, develop and, and, and you know, show alternatives to, you know, uh, uh, those those various, uh, I guess, state functions. And, uh, you know, thankfully, there are some some very good examples of the of, of that out there. You look at like a cell 411 uh, instead of calling the police. Uh, you have, uh, you know, the threat management center in Detroit. Yes. Uh, Commander Dale Brown, uh, you know, that's uh, you know, they've been they've been doing a lot of, you know, great work out there in Detroit. Uh, you know, the uh, the hellhole that that's been, uh, you know, for some time. So. Uh, there are alternatives to, uh, you know, state state institutions, and uh, I, I think the, uh, I think only you know more of those will will just uh, start to come out. And I think a lot of that will be due to technology. Yeah, well, it'll be due to to crowdsource decentralized technology because the other technology exactly. has always started with government for government. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's definitely true. That's definitely true. Um. But, you know, speaking of solutions and driving people away from the state gradually, uh, one of the solutions that's available, uh, possibly, is a project that you happen to be working on, which is seasteading. So why don't you tell, like, my listeners a little bit about you, what you do, um, and your podcast, and then hit, hit like, maybe, you know, five to ten minutes about your seasteading project and, like, really try to, you know, 
go into as much detail as possible because I think seasteading is one of the ways to go given the fact that government has barely regulated the ocean areas, at least as far as we know, as far as the current declassified documents are saying. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's definitely true. So, so yeah, my name is Shane Radliff, and I run, uh, th I do three podcasts, uh, Liberty Under Attack, which uh, I started in February of 2015. Uh, started out as a conspiratorial uh, broadcast, uh, you know, very, uh, very appropriate. Uh, the first episode we ever did was on 9-11. Uh, so uh, that started in, in February of 2015. And, uh, you know, after about three or four months of the conspiratorial uh, aspect, which that was going to be the focus of the podcast, we shift, I, I became an anarchist and uh, everything kind of shifted toward direct action, uh, you know, solutions and finding freedom now without having to beg those who falsely imagine themselves to be our rulers. Uh, so uh, at Liberty Under Attack, we've done things like uh, the Freedom Umbrella of Direct Action. Uh, which is 90 plus, you know, uh, it's just a, a value-free directory of the economic means, uh, direct action, uh, that people can uh, check out at libertyunderattack.com forward slash FUDA, that's F-U-D-A. Uh, and we've also done uh, the direct action series, which was a six-plus-month-long project uh, where we examined specific items off of the Freedom Umbrella of Direct Action and interviewed folks who are actually doing these things. So uh, no theory, no theory at all. Uh, people who are actually implementing these strategies into their lives, and uh, you know they've benefited greatly from from doing so. So that's Liberty Under Attack. Uh, we release one podcast a week on Sundays, and uh, the next project I do started in January of this year. Uh, it's called the Vani Podcast, and just real briefly, Vani was a, an awkward contraction of voluntary and not vulnerable. Uh, it's a strategy proposed and largely developed by a gentleman named Rayo, uh, who uh, uh, back in the 1960s, and. Uh, it's all premised around invulnerability coercion. So it's becoming as invulnerable to coercion as you possibly can from both public coercers, which would be, you know, governments, the state, and also private coercers, uh, criminals, uh, private criminals. Uh, so that's at VanuPodcast.com. And uh, the episode you referred to was the food storage episode, and that was actually Vanu. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we won't get into Vanu much here. There's a lot of detail. Like we, have a, we have an entire podcast on it, and the episodes tend to be two and a half or three hours long most of the time. So, uh, so that's Vanu. And uh, then I do the uh, Marinia podcast, and this was uh, something I, uh, I was uh, reached out to by uh, Bob Llewellyn, the project manager for Marinia, after he heard my episode uh, that I recorded with Reagan Keeley on Seasteading, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to uh, join the team and uh, you know, start, start the podcast for him, and I uh, graciously accepted. Uh, so the Marinia project is a, it's a sure, think of it as Seasteading, but it's a little different. So I'm sure you're familiar with the Seasteading Institute. And uh, they recently got their hosting nation, uh, hosting nation state, uh, French Polynesia. And what they're doing is they're trying to build, you know, they're trying to construct new architecture uh, to actually have, you know, you know, cities at sea. Uh, so it's very much more, uh, no, it's, it's very much more innovative. Uh, it'll take a lot more construction, architecture, things like that. Uh, but with Marinia, the plan is to have just a floating village at sea. So phase one is basically uh, um, the, the goal is to, give, to, to, to uh, raise $15 million dollars and buy a uh, flotel. It's a floating hotel. It's a, it's a barge that's been repurposed. Uh, it's a very you know luxurious uh, hotel. So purchase that. Go set it out in the Quesal Bank, which is in between. I don't know the distances off the top of my head, but it's in between the Bahamas, Cuba, and Florida. Uh, idea here for phase one, and this is where it kind of differs from uh, what the sea setting institute is doing, is that the barge, the the flotel will, will serve as the village, the village at sea, and people will just you know you know uh, you know stay around there in their own in their own boats. Uh, so it's not going to take. We're, we're using already existing technology. Uh, we don't have to, you know, come up with these grand schemes, uh, these these grand uh, architectural schemes, and then try to figure out how how this thing would all come together. So uh, Marini is much more of a uh, realistic, I think, uh, approach to seasteading. 
uh, and that uh, using already established technology, not having to develop all this stuff from scratch. Uh, so that would be Marinia. You can find that at marinia.org. And the podcast for that is released bi-weekly. And uh, I'd certainly recommend you check out the podcast. It's, uh, it's only about 30 minutes, uh, 30 minutes every two weeks, but uh, we dig into some really, really interesting subjects. So uh, that's, the, uh, that's the work that I do. Very cool. So, so related to that, do you mind discussing like the the, the structure of these uh, these these floating villages and do you, like like the safety involved? Like, are they are they like parked anywhere or do they need to be parked near the shore? Uh, what which waters are not controlled by by the like governments near them? Mm-hmm. You know those sorts of those sorts of questions would probably be interesting to to sort of look at. Right, right. So, uh, so as far as I'll, I'll deal with kind of the the jurisdictional uh, aspect first, as, as far as governments, because it's 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 detail heavy. But uh, okay, so uh, from twenty, it's twenty four nautical miles or twenty seven miles uh, off the coast of any nation uh, is something called the contiguous zone. Uh, it's yeah, something called uh, up to up to that point, it's called the contiguous zone. And governments can they don't I, I they they don't have exclusive control, but they can they can still regulate uh, and do and pretty much do what they wish. And that would be, it's also kind of known as territorial waters. Uh, so 24, 24 nautical miles, 27 miles. And then up to, uh, it's actually 200, and I think 30, 230 miles uh, off the coast of any established nation state. is something called the exclusive economic zone. And at that point, uh, you know, uh, they have no jurisdiction whatsoever, uh, except for uh, the, you know, the, uh, the seafloor, resources, minerals, uh, any land um, that is... Uh, and within that 230 mile zone, uh, they do have the exclusive economic rights to that uh, to that area. So that would be kind of the jurisdictional aspect. Uh, so what's interesting about Marinia is that it'll be well outside of the exclusive economic zone of uh, well, it'll it'll be within the um, it'll be outside the contiguous zone, but in, inside the exclusive economic zone. But it's going to be a floating village at sea, so we're not utilizing any uh, you know any you know uh, uh, you know reefs, atolls, uh, lands. Uh, uh, island, anything like that. So it'll be a floating village at sea. Uh, you know, the state, uh, any nation state, has no, you know, claim to the water, uh, you know, on top of the land. So, uh, but that's kind of assuming that the government follows its own laws, uh, which uh, that's that's going to be a, a it's it's that's going to be an interesting part to kind of look at. And uh, does it expand their if, arbitrary legal legal authority? Um, I mean, there there have been uh, and there have been instances in the past uh, in the 60s and 70s. There were a handful of attempts at seasteads, and uh, there were instances where you know the 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 uh, you know aspiring you know uh, village at sea or seastead, uh, you know they were well outside of the uh, well outside of any claim of a government, uh, but they still you know got uh, you know got tossed out. Uh, so uh, so yeah, that'll that'll be kind of interesting. Uh, but I think Marini has a leg up over uh, the seasteading institute, particularly because. Um, they're relying on French Polynesia. French Polynesia ever says down the road, "Hey, uh, you know, we're going to expropriate this from you." Uh, then, you know, they, that's happened in the past too with seasetting projects. So, uh, I think Marini is a little ahead. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the seasetting institute does. Uh, it's not even really competition; it's just two different approaches to seasetting. So, uh, well, I mean, that, the- that 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 is a competition in the ideas sense, and the. If if you consider those two ideas as separate, then the one that does better will be the one that people gravitate towards. And I'm sure that if that one does better, then the Seasteading Institute will change its policies. I I don't know that competition is ever so- something that people can escape from. Even if you cooperate with one group and um, 
have like non-aggression pacts and you know cooperation agreements and like contracts and shit even if that's like possible uh you know between groups you're still competing against other groups so i i don't competition isn't a dirty right, word but... in my book no, 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 I, and I didn't mean it that way. I guess what I, I guess the, the the point was there there are two different approaches. Yeah. Um. They're not. They're not. They're. It's obviously working towards a similar goal, but uh, they're two different approaches to 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 sea sitting. I guess. But the and point if you consider, is like adversarial. Yeah, ex- exactly. Like we're we're not working against each other. I guess. Um. Is 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 kind of the kind of the point I'm trying to get across here. Right. And uh, I, I guess I I'd like to you know leave this for your listeners, but just consider the consider the ramifications to the state. If there, you know, do, if a free market in seasteads does develop, uh, you want to you want to talk about, you know, uh, crushing to nation states. If people can just, you know, go move out to international waters and, you know, into the case I'll bank for the for uh, for Marinia, uh, the ramifications are quite significant. And I've said before in podcasts that uh, whether it's minimalist sailboating, which should just be, you know, you get a uh, you get a sailboat with uh, you or you alone or you and you and you and your family and you just, uh, you know, go utilize your freedom out in international waters, whether it's that. Or seasteading like the Marinia project, uh, the I, I really do think it's it's kind of inevitable when you look at the, the fact that governments uh, around the world claim jurisdiction in 99.9 percent of all land uh, on Earth. If it's land, they've got a claim to it. Uh, so uh, the the ramifications and possibilities for freedom out in the open ocean uh, are so significant, and uh, that's why I'm really excited about projects like Marinia, uh, even the seasteading institute too. Even though I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of the strategy of you know working with a nation state. Uh, you know, as an anarchist, it's not not something that really appeals to me. But anyways, I, I'm really excited about both of the, you know both of these projects. Uh, but I really do think you know Marinia is a, a more realistic uh, uh, you know path forward uh, to uh, finding freedom on the open ocean. Right. Okay. And and there is there is an interesting idea that I always have with projects like this because there there's like I'm I'm not a green anarchist like. I, I sort of sympathize with Agent Smith, but not enough to act on the, the, the idea that humanity is a virus. Um, but, like, there there is the idea that, like, be, because um, humanity currently thrives on things that require large installations like this possible hotel on the water and, you know, all of these individual personal boats and things like that, there is the idea that there's a possibility that there are going to be too many resources uh, that, that every single human being demands, that if there was any true economic equality across the board, um, at least in terms of, you know, bringing everybody up to a certain standard of living, that the Earth couldn't sustain it. What's the sustainability like on the Marinia project? Right, and that, and that's actually there's uh, there's uh, three or four uh, I guess uh, you know word I, I don't remember what it is it's something that uh, that Bob Llewellyn uh, discusses in its uh, episode two and three of the Marinia podcast but sustainability is one of those is one of those things uh, so obviously uh, obviously you know uh, uh, we're working towards uh, uh, you know not using fossil fuels and going with alternative energy sources in the water uh, there's something called ocean thermal energy conversion which just utilizes the differences in temperatures between uh, you know the uh, you know the the cold bottom and the hot top, uh, and there's some sort. I'm not an engineer, uh, but there's some sort of apparatus that uh, you know can actually produce energy that way. So just u- utilizing wave energy, uh, which is you know very very efficient, and uh, it's uh, you know not none of the I guess the adverse effects of, of burning fossil fuels and things. Uh, secondly, there's uh, you know a high possibility for for fish farming in the ocean, um, which uh, I, I think is another interesting thing. Rather than uh, you know the the fish farms that are on land. Uh, where fish develop, you know, these these really nasty, 
you know, kind of bacteria and things, uh, since they're not supposed to be, uh, you know, in these controlled environments, you know, in a lake. Uh, rather than that, you know, having the entire open ocean will just, uh, you know, very sustainably, uh, you know, uh, you know, farm fish more, I guess, caring more for, um, I guess, the, the, the wildlife. And, and then the idea is, Rather than just, uh, you know, uh, I guess I'm not I'm not kind of a green anarchist either or anything like that. Um, but obviously, you know, I, I think it's, you know, wise to, to, to take care of the earth. Um, but, you know, rather than, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if this is the, the best word, but, you know, expropriating resources, actually putting resources back into the earth uh, and, and kind of that way for, for sustainability. So that aspect is definitely there. It's something that we focus on. All right. So the so one of the things is the ideal marinia would it have like a, a sustainability initiative where like people would be incentivized in some way to recontribute their their um their like biodegradable waste to a pool or to contribute like you know some recycling programs of some sort some sort of repurposing things like encouraging like cuz one of the things is that the reason like I think primarily government is so necessary is because people don't want to think about their impact on anything. And it's much easier when there's quote rough men to do that sort of thing. And, um, if, if the end goal of Marinia is essentially statelessness, um, would, would there be a sort of consciousness, uh, threshold by which you would need to pass that in order to in order to live there, or would pretty much anybody be able to go there, no matter how much they fucked the place up and trashed uh, trashed the whole joint? Would would it be like a covenant community in in sort of a more Hoppian sense kind of idea? Um, that's that's a good question. So we so obviously uh, we've uh, you know we've discussed you know possibilities out there on the open ocean, but we're we're not central planners. We don't know exactly what's going to develop with spontaneous order. Uh, I would imagine you know the, the you know the majority of folks would uh, you know would be uh, you know they would kind of be on on board with the, the idea of uh, sustainability and not you know damaging the ocean. I think that would kind of just I think that I think that would kind of be a, just a, a baseline thing. But as far as uh, you know, if if, if people are there trashing it. Um, I mean, uh, there would be uh, there would be private security on the barge, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, we we haven't I guess thought through all of those details. Uh, I guess. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure something like that would develop, but you know, spontaneously through the market uh, for for some of those programs. Um, but but yeah, like I said, we aren't central planners. We're kind of you know just laying out the project. We're trying to get you know get get the uh, the flow tell out there on the water, and then uh, you know people can come and, and pretty much do whatever they want as long as they're not uh, as long as they're not damaging person or property. So right. uh, that's kind of the baseline too, person and property. So okay, yeah, yeah, you, and and I don't want to like grill you about it, but like there are some questions about like what could create a stable society, whether it's on land or in like in, in international waters, um, like and and I think that answering those questions is sort of valuable because what it what it what it'll do is it'll allay some of the concerns from the people who've thought about anarchy for a long time but haven't really made the leap because they think x will happen if there's anarchy so um i i, I always try to confront it from as many different angles as possible because that's because that's my pessimistic cynicism coming out right there Right, right, and, and I appreciate that. But there, there will be. Uh, I'm going to talk to Mark Stefan, the CEO of the project. Uh, once again, we're going to kind of talk about the psychological um, side of it because, yeah, you are right. There are there are certain certain hurdles uh, with you know people living together. Uh, so we'll we'll discuss that, and I'll I'll definitely uh, add that to the outline too for that so that we can discuss that uh, and, and get into more details on, on on those things. But yeah, we'll definitely discuss 
Uh, it'll probably be, you know, in the next uh, in the next month or so, I'll have Mark back on, and we'll dig into kind of the psychological aspect, which is why I, I think kind of in part is what you're referring to here. Yeah, yeah, basically, because one of the things that I've said on this show before is that people, the, the the reason we have anarchy is because people in their minds aren't convinced um, of the benefits of of well, the reason we have statism is because people don't understand the benefits of anarchy and uh, and and aren't willing to to make the personal commitments of their personal lives to uh, to actually build that anarchist society. And I think one of the things that's valuable is to really dig deep into kind of what makes people tick in any given society. And mm-hmm. you know, w- with any sort of uh, like uh advancement there's the possibility for a massive disadvancement with people moving backward into the society that they were previously comfortable with and uh you know people are comfortable with this society because basically they can do what they want as long as it's legal and then if they want to do something illegal all they have to do is avoid authority so really a statist society is hugely inefficient at stopping crime for that reason but it's not going to end up with good people if good people are the basis for this society and they all decide to move to a beautiful place like Marinia. And that means that, like, you know, basically that's that's a free rider problem where you have people that aren't willing to contribute positively to a positive system and they turn it negative eventually. So it's always interesting to, to like, really dig deep into that because personally... I'm a cynic, and I don't think we'll ever see anarchy in any meaningful sense uh, until people are willing to have a mass transition of consciousness, which I sort of advocate on my show, and I do the, you know, you've got to get mad kind of thing. I piss people Uh off. Um, But when you do that episode, when you talk about the psychology and sustainability and how to keep a place like that going at the the ideal volume... um, when you talk about that, I'll link I'll link that episode in the in the description for this one and uh, tag a bunch of people, because um, that to me, that's one of the interesting things about about anarchy is how to like get there from here, and uh, I think that until we get most people in the world by at least like sixty percent on board with anarchy. Um, it's not going to happen. So I want to see it happen, yeah. and I want to see it stay happening because I I don't want to lose. That's my primary thing. Right, right. And I, I guess uh, you were kind of speaking to that. Uh, I I I don't imagine. I don't expect. Uh, you know, there to be you know a mass influx of people. You know, millions upon millions upon millions. At least you know immediately. I think uh, the the first folks that will go out to Marinia when when that uh, barge gets in the Quezal Bank, uh, the the floatel, uh, the floating hotel. Uh, it, I, it's, I think it's primarily going to be, you know, freedom pioneers because it's, it's, it's not going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be like a modern city like Chicago or New York, New York City, thankfully, right? Uh, it's not, it's not going to be like that. I, I imagine it'll be, you know, most like a, a, you know, a lot of libertarians, uh, maybe, you know, uh, uh, entrepreneurs that that uh, see the benefits from, you know, unreg- unregulated medical medical research, uh, which I think would be would be absolutely huge, uh, and all of the other entrepreneurial ventures that that could be undertaken. Uh, uh, in the water too. So, um, so you know, libertarians, investors, entrepreneurs. I don't think it's going to be. Uh, I, I don't think it, we're we're going to see. You know, at least uh, you know immediately as of phase one. You know, a large amount of people. I think right. it'll be a certain a certain type of person uh, that will move there. You know, uh, in phase one or even uh, you know phase two. So right. uh, I think that that kind of is also a benefit too. It's not uh, you know trying to uh, you know you know I guess uh, 
sure. I mean, anyone's welcome uh, at Marineo. But uh, uh, I don't think we're going to see, you know, a mass influx of, of status into, into Marini. I just don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and, I, and I don't doubt that, especially since uh, one of the primary things that statists appreciate about living in a statist society is what that statist society offers them. And this one clearly wouldn't offer them that. No. It's, not, it's basically a floating liberland from what it sounds like. And yes, in, in essence, yeah, only not having to deal with uh, you know the issues uh, issues with uh, the jurisdictional claims. Uh, so that's another, I guess, another uh, you know positive in, in in favor of Marinia. Or electoral politics. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because th that that was one of the things that drove me away from Liberland is that it's not a no government society; it's a small government society because they wanted to register and shit. So. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, right. Like there's no there's no free state of anything anymore, and it's because people are so constantly cucked to the government. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's um, yeah, that's that's definitely true. So so yeah, like I said, I, I imagine it'll be a certain type of person that's attracted to uh, to to Marinia, uh, at least early on, and then you know once uh, you know once it gets to a point where uh, you know there's enough demand for it, I imagine there will be a you know a bunch of you know a bunch of projects you know duplicating. Uh, you know, duplicating the, the the blueprint for Marinia, and I think we'll see kind of a, a free market in Seasteads, as I kind of mentioned a moment ago. So, um, if someone does want, uh, and, and this is, I guess, something kind of unique uh, with with you know with Marinia, is that uh, obviously the the village the village at sea will just be Marinia. Anyone else can do whatever they want around there. So if there's uh, you know if there's a, an intentional community out there, you know uh, you know a couple miles away from the barge that wants to start you know some sort of a uh, libertarian socialist sort of you know thing on the water, they can do that. No one's going to stop them. Uh, right. You could have kind of your your ANCAP variety. I mean, there's there's freedom to do whatever. Uh, however, however people want to organize, they can do so. Uh, and it's not going to be, I guess, it, I, yeah. So I, I guess that's that's another kind of advantage too. You you don't have to, and that's one of the major issues with statism and why there's why there's so much conflict uh, in states is that people are forced to live in a in a, in a way contrary to their values uh, in large part. So um, I, I think that's uh, their values and desires. So I think that's, you know, another benefit uh, with Marinia is people can actually, you know, do what they want to do, uh, you know, barring, you know, no uh, infringements on person and property. Right. And, and, you know, and when I say that people, like, there would have to be something to stop the free rider problem, I, I see a lot of ways to stop the free rider problem that are mostly inherent in the idea of anarchy to begin with. Like, there wouldn't be any anti-discrimination laws, so if a business didn't like what somebody did, like throwing trash in the ocean near the business, then they could say, you don't get our business until you change your ways. Exactly. Or, or just flatly, you don't get our business at all ever again. And people couldn't say, you know, file a class action lawsuit that says that, you know, I, th I, I want to be able to throw my trash in this a piece of water and still go to this this particular business. There would have to be um, some some sort of greater level of respect. It's sort of like arming yourself with the ability to say no and also weapons. An armed society is a polite society kind of thing. Right. So like I, you know, the free rider question is mostly answered already by various other anarchist schools of thought. So I don't mm -hmm. I don't mean to act like that like it's some sort of stump, but what it is 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 it's an interesting uh like sort of device because uh, anti-discrimination things um typically mean that people are forced to serve people that they dislike even though that's not actually mm -hmm. beneficial to either party in any meaningful sense um but like 
if you had a society without anti-discrimination laws, then you would you would end up with uh, much more of the sort of things where people could could engage on their own terms, and that would probably mean that there would be much many more people that would go to a place like that to live well, uh, because they wouldn't want to piss people off and be one of the shunned. So it's it's always something to consider that that anarchy solves a lot of the problems de facto that statism enables um, and then tries to claim that they're the only solution for. So, like, you know, I, I see a lot of ways out of it. Uh, people would just have to basically, in my opinion, have the balls to stand firm on their own principles. And uh, and maybe in an anarchic society, that would be something that happened. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. Kind of the, 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 I guess, the spontaneous market corrections, you know, uh, boycott, boycotting ostracism, things like that. Yeah, I, I think those would be uh, would be, you know, it would be very much utilized as they, they kind of already are, you know, in the realm of, uh, you know, human interaction. So, uh, so yeah, you're certainly correct. Yeah. So, so like, you know, I've answered the question in my brain pretty, pretty severely, um, over and over again. I just think it's valuable for, you know, possible new listeners to the show that may not have come through my channels to, to hear that, maybe the free rider problem is something that they've thought about but it's maybe not something that uh, that that they would need to worry about in an anarchic society so when whenever you have that conversation I'll definitely link it um but most of us are not on the water and as a result well yet um and as a result uh we have a whole lot to worry about when it comes to that sort of thing, that sort of, like, state encroachment, that sort of uh, shit hits the fan, you know, and that's just through sort of unnatural disasters, the the, the disaster of the human condition, as it were. But mm -hmm. um, but uh, you, you had a very interesting presentation on prepping, and I think that it'd be very valuable to go over uh, generally... Um, and, and, you know, take as much time as you need to explain this as thoroughly as possible, what people need for a basic bug out situation, and also what people need if they plan to hunker down. Uh, so, uh, mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, we, we, we can definitely do that. So, uh, so, so I think obviously most importantly would be, would be food and water storage. Now, uh, with food storage, there's, a, there's actually, you know, a pretty wide market for that now. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see something similar with water. There are things like, you know, the live straw uh, and, and other products like that where you can, uh, you know, where it's just a little tube and you can uh, purify some water that way. Oh, uh, but with, real yeah, quick, uh, mm -hmm. to interrupt you, um, but the, the, like, does the live straw get out biological contaminants? Because that's a question that I've heard from many listeners. So does the live straw get out biological contaminants or would you still have to boil it depending on the conditions of the water? Um, that's a good question. I've never uh, been in a situation where I've needed a live straw. Um, I, I guess allegedly that's the claim is that it you know it eliminates 99.9% of those uh, of those those uh, I guess those bacterial contaminants. So uh, it's so a gamble, that's, but that's it's a, a fairly safe bet. Yeah, and, and it's been something that's been that's that's been recommended for for years now. So if if the product was inferior, I think it probably would have been uh, you know driven out by something more uh, something something better. So I, I would I I don't have any firsthand experience with it, but I would say. Uh, you know, if it's been around this long and it's got it's got as many and it's doing so well, uh, I, I imagine it would it would be a, it, it would be a good thing to toss into your bug out bag. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and either way, it'd be a good thing to toss into your bug out bag because even if it didn't get everything out, it's better to have something lightweight and you know not ever need it than to 
need it and not have it. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's definitely true. And it's not it's, yeah, it's not gonna take up much room in your bug out bag. You might as well just uh, you can go ahead and toss toss that in there. I'm sure there are other uh, other products that uh, uh, that's that that off that uh, offer similar things. Um, but yeah, that'd be water storage, I guess. Uh, for you know, if if there is ever a you know, I guess uh, uh, Tia uh, situation, the end of the world as we know it, uh, then. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely, <laughs> I would, I would definitely recommend planning ahead, you know, for your bug out location. And, uh, you know, there are a couple of places that I have in mind and both areas have, you know, fresh springs, uh, you know, fresh, fresh water springs nearby. So, uh, when you're kind of, you know, deciding, you know, locations that you're going to bug out to keep that in mind and you can make your, your job a lot easier if you have access to a- access to, you know, pretty much endless, uh, you know, fresh water. So that's, uh, that's, uh, kind of something there. Um, I guess with with food storage, there there are a few different avenues people could go down. Um, I'm sure uh, your listeners have seen, you know, the, kind of the packages. You can get like the, uh, you know, the one week, uh, the two week, the you know three month, the two year, the five year. You know, all of these you know big these big kits that you can buy. Yeah, uh, paid, Patriot Supply Company. Use code Glenn Beck at checkout. Yep, yep. So yeah, there, there's a huge market for that sort of stuff. Um, now, I guess one one trap that a lot of a lot of uh, you know preppers uh, you know fall into is there, there's a there's a I guess a derogatory claim, or derogatory label called credit card preppers, and what they do is there's uh, you know like say for example you know uh, someone you know sees everything going on with North Korea and they think you know America's going to get nuked they go and buy you know a two year supply with a credit card uh, uh. Of, <laughs> uh, they go buy like a two year supply of food toss it in their closet and never you know never use it right uh. Uh, and then they have to pay interest to bankers. Uh, so that's not, uh, you know, that's that's not ideal. Uh, I don't recommend that uh, at all. Unless uh, you can't no reason... pay it back, in which case your credit score will be amazing. <laughs> you know, allegedly, allegedly, the, the the whole credit score credit score thing is a little uh, a little uh, uh, wishy washy. But uh, but but yeah, I mean that's that, that wouldn't be the the advised route. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, there's no reason to go into debt uh, with 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 uh, some of these things. Um, but I, I guess another kind of there's a uh, I guess maybe it's a parable. Uh, maybe not a parable, but there's uh, there's this uh, this phrase: uh, "Store what you eat, and eat what you store." And that's another problem with these with these kits uh, is that you you buy uh, you know a two year supply of this, and you know if it ever does if there ever ever comes a time where you need it and it tastes like crap, uh, you know some of these things you know aren't made with the, the best quality ingredients, so you know I might not be able to digest them. Uh, so you get into a situation where you actually need it, and you run into those two problems. Uh, now, with a store, what you eat and what you store, uh, it's you know it's it's kind of uh, you know it doesn't really need to be explained. But uh, you want to eat good food, and you want to uh, you know make sure that um, that you actually you know enjoy the taste. Um, it'd, it'd make a, you know make that situation a little better if you weren't eating garbage food. Um, so there's there's that kind of thing. Um, yeah. By the way, for for these per- proverbial credit card preppers. Um, what, what kind of sites do you recommend for like healthy, balanced food? Because I've noticed a lot of starch heaviness. I've noticed a lot of heaviness in sugars and, uh, it's irritating to say the least. So do you know of any sites that offer like healthy alternatives? Um, there, there are a lot of, there's, there are some sites that offer obviously like the organic and non-GMO, uh, prepper kits. Um, but uh, I, I mean, you, 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 if you do a Google search, you can find a bunch of a, a bunch of possibilities. Um, obviously, there's uh, you know Patriots find other ones. Um, I think that's uh, or I think I have eFoods uh, eFoods Direct maybe is the the two week supply that I have uh, until I get to my, my bug out location. Um, but yeah, there are there are a lot of options out there. And what I what I would recommend is rather than you know seeing rather than going to one of these stores and then buying a two year supply, a lot of times they have like uh, you know a one week supply that'll cost like twenty nine ninety nine or something. 
um, you know, I'd recommend getting that first and trying it. And then if you if you if you taste good and, and, and you know, you're able to digest it, uh, then, you know, go ahead and buy, you know, the two year if that's what you want to do. Um, but uh, that's that's a problem that a lot of these people run into. They they, they get scared about some sort of, uh, you know, doom porn scenario. And then they go out and, you know, uh, buy two year supply of food. And uh, then they, yeah, like I said, they pay credit card, pay, pay, you know, pay interest to bankers. And then uh, if they ever get in a situation where they need it, uh, the food may not be good uh, and all of the things that uh, that come with that. And, um, they're, and they're put on a government watch list for somebody who's storing food. Yeah, that's that, that's a problem, too. Uh, that, that really is a problem, too. Um, so, so going off of the, you know, the store what you eat, uh, store what you eat and what you store thing, um, I mentioned Rayo a moment ago. And uh, he was, uh, you know, the the Vanuans, uh, you know, people who practice Vani, they very much largely developed the practice of survivalism back in the 60s. And uh, what's, you know, Rayo's, you know, food storage setup was was pretty interesting. So they didn't, that back then in the 60s, there was no market for food storage. Uh, so there wasn't, you know, eFoods Direct and Patriot Supply and things like that. There just weren't. Uh, so Rayo had to come up with his own sort of, uh, you know, storage uh, solution. And uh, what him and uh, his freemate did, uh, Roberta, they, uh, you know, they were, they ate a very, you know, uh, you know, grain and starch heavy, heavy diet. Uh, they, you know, supplemented with nuts and, uh, and, and, and things like that. And uh, what they did was uh, they, uh, you know, vacuum sealed each bag. So like they, they'd have, you know, a bag of rice and then they'd, you know, toss that into a 55 gallon drum and they'd fill up the 55 gallon drum, seal it and then bury it. Yeah, they lived... I was going to talk about burying. Yeah, yeah. So like that was a very interesting, uh, an interesting method. Uh, you know, for, for their little, for, for their food setup. Um, so they, they had, you know, 55 gallon drums scattered. They, they pursued wilderness fawning. Uh, basically what they did was they lived in a polyethylene A-tent for, for most of the year. Uh, and to explain to your listeners in about 10 seconds what a polyethylene A-tent is, uh, you have, uh, you have a ridge rope, you're going between two trees, you have two A-frames, then you have a piece of plastic and you toss it over the top and, uh, there's your shelter. Mm-hmm. So that's how they lived. That's a how they lived hammer, for... basically. Right. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. So uh, they had to they had to engineer. I mean, they were out in the Siskiyou region, northern California and southern Oregon. They had to figure out, you know, we don't have electricity. You know, we don't have refrigeration. How are we going to store this food? So they had to, you know, develop these practices. I mean, obviously, they got some ideas from other people. But, uh, you know, they, they figured out this really interesting system of, you know, uh, you know, storing food in 55-gallon drums and just burying them. Uh, and it wasn't just one bug-out location. No, well, it's not even a bug-out location. There's, there's, they're just different Bonnie shelters that they had. Uh, they had, you know, a handful of them in the area or, you know, uh, in, in the Siskiyou region, and they had 55-gallon drums buried, you know, all throughout the woods, uh, whether it be so-called public land or private land. Um, so that one, uh, if you're if you're in a, if you're pursuing a lifestyle like that, uh, you know, that might be something you you uh, you'd be interested in, might work for you. But uh, generally speaking, uh, I don't think most folks would be interested in that sort of a lifestyle. Uh, but that's that's just a really interesting you know strategy that they they came up with to, to store their food. Okay, so and and you brought up a bug out location. Uh, mind discussing bug out locations and what uh, what ideally to look for in uh, in in bug out equipment and uh, and what how to best scout those sorts of locations. Sure, sure. So I I would say, uh, so a bug out location is a, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, if there's ever a situation where uh, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the event is, if there's an economic collapse, you know, a, a nuclear attack or, uh, whatever the situation may be, uh, or if you're on the run from the state, uh, which, you know, might, might be a possibility for some folks, uh, you know, a bug allocation is a place where you go, 
to you know uh, uh, to to remain safe. It's a place where uh, you know you, only you and the people that are going to be bugging out there know about. No one else does. It's a very private thing. You don't want to you know post on Facebook where your uh, where your bug out location. If that's not wise. <clears throat> but yeah, things to things to things to look for at a scout location. Um, I would say, uh, you know, one not uh, obviously not close to an interstate because if uh, if you get into a situation like that. Uh, you're not going to be able to, the, the, you know, the traffic is going to be terrible. You're not going to be able to, to use that. So uh, probably somewhere, uh, you know, in the country, I suppose there there could be, you know, good places, you know, in cities that you you might be able to go to if it's if it's fortified enough and if uh, you think you're going to hold out there. But generally speaking, bug out locations would be, uh, you know, kind of wilderness locations. A lot of, uh, you know, preppers in the past have, you know, built uh, log cabins in the woods to serve as their bug out locations, uh, which is definitely one way to do it. Um but as far as you know, a bug out bag, what things that you would you would take with you? Uh, I would say a lot of a lot of the kits that they have come with they're like four day supplies uh, or something like that. That if if you have a big enough backpack, I recommend two weeks because as soon as you get to your bug out location or you, well, well, ideally you'd have food at your bug out location that you stored already. But if you don't uh, or if you can't get to your bug out location, having you know two weeks supply of food is a lot better than four days. Uh, it gives you some time to figure out what what you're gonna do. Uh, rather than you know you 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 immediately bug out and then you've got to think about food, uh, what you're going to eat, you know five days from now. Uh, so obviously some sort of like a two week supply of food, I'd I'd recommend you know like we we've already talked about the lifestyle something like that would be uh, would be good maybe a you know a a very small uh, you know camping tent that uh, you could fit uh, into a, a bug out bag very easily, uh, you know not like a, a couple of really good knives uh, would be wise if you. Uh, if you own firearms, you know, it might be wise to toss a, uh, a pistol into the bag or, you know, carry it out there uh, for defense or for hunting uh, either way. Um, other things, you know, uh, uh, you know, like aluminum foil can come in handy in a lot of situations. Um, you know, string, string too. you know, just just extra rope, uh, you know, cordage, that, can, that right? can come in handy. Yep. Cordage. Exactly. Yeah. Other than that, uh I mean, you know, medicine wouldn't be, you know, if, if, if you, if you, you know, have any, you know, any medicine that you need to take with you, make sure that's in there uh, so that you can, you know, survive. Um, yeah, the SAS Survival Guide, for instance, recommends uh, carrying antibiotics and uh, anti-inflammatories with you at all times. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, that would definitely, definitely be wise. Uh, I guess another thing, you know, if, if you're, if you're privy to this, uh, you know, technology, if, um, you know, if there ever is a situation where, you know the uh, the internet does uh, utilize that kill switch, uh, the internet kill switch. Then uh, you know if you have uh, you know something like a satellite, uh, you know satellite uh, satellite phone, or some sort of a you know a shortwave radio or something, which a lot of a lot of people might not even be familiar with though shortwave radios now. Um, but uh, you know some, something like that would be good, especially if if you have a network of preppers in the area uh, that you've that you've kind of uh, you know bugged out with. Uh, that would be wise some way to communicate. Uh, but I guess those would be the general things. I'm sure there, I'm sure there are preppers that, that would toss other things in there. But uh, you want your food, you want your water, you want a, you want a place for shelter, which would be the tent. <clears throat> then you want your medicines if anything does happen, and you'd have uh, you know a couple of a uh, couple of good knives or whatever you need to do. And uh, you know that's kind of the, the general idea of a bug out bag, uh, as as far as what you would what what would what I would, what I'd recommend uh, you you know you take with you. Okay, so. You know that that's that's a good general idea for for on your way out there. What would you recommend once people are there? General like 
like pointers on diet, um, exercise lifestyle, because I mean it's gonna change when you can't just go to the gym. So, like you know, what what would you recommend people do once they're out there to stay sane, to stay safe, and to stay alive? Right. Yeah. So so even even Rayo, uh, you know this this wasn't their this wasn't their bug out location. These weren't their bug out locations at all. These were various shelters that they lived, uh, you know, for large parts of the year. Um, but, uh, but even Rayo, you know, being out there for, you know, uh, you know, 14 years until, you know, he disappeared and we don't really know what happened to him. Um, he was like, he, he pretty much spent most of his time developing shelter. So, uh, I guess the first thing I'd recommend you, you have your camping tent, which would be, which would be great. Uh, you know, that's, that's a good, you know, I guess placeholder, I guess might be one way to put it. But, uh, if you, if you, if you don't have, uh, you know, some sort of shelter already built like a log cabin or. Uh, you know, a small shack or whatever it may be. That might be wise, uh, you know, to, to first do is you develop, uh, you know, some sort of a more temporary structure uh, or more permanent structure. Uh, you know, this could be anything built with, uh, you know, uh, anything built with native materials there. Uh, so Rayo, uh, he, he lived in the polyethylene tent for some time, which would be an option to some folks uh, if, if they want to go that route. He also uh, de- he also worked, did something, uh, I think it was, he called it a shoe swap dwelling. Uh, where, you know, half of it's underground and half of it's, you know, above ground. Um, that would be, you know, an option for some. Uh, he, he largely went more towards like a troglodyte lifestyle, which was, you know, living completely underground. Um, so I, I'd say, you know, if you don't have it already, developing shelter, uh, that's probably the most important thing outside of food and water is having, you know, a, you know, a nice dry place to, uh, you know, to lay your head at night. Because uh, if you don't, uh, that can be very bad for the psyche. You know, it'd be, it'd make, you go, you make you go crazy pretty quick. Uh, if you aren't uh, if you aren't sleeping well, so that'd probably be the first thing uh, to do while you're out there. Uh, that'd be good exercise too if you're hauling around woods, you know, hauling around uh, you know trees and such. Uh, that'd be you know yeah, good exercise, uh, you know, hiking, uh, hiking the area, looking uh, foraging for you know berries or uh, you know hunting. Uh, you know, those are all good forms of exercise that uh, can also serve as you know uh, nutrition uh, and you know uh, sustenance, I guess you could say. Beyond that. Uh, I would definitely recommend some sort of, you know, concealment uh, or deception, because if we are talking about, you know, a, a, a Tiawatki situation, the end of the world as we know it, um, then, <laughs> you know, there might be other folks trying to, uh, you know, trying to, um, uh, you know, trying to venture out there. If they come across your bug out location uh, and uh, it's not, uh, you know, concealed or, you know, de- if there's not deception there, uh, you know, uh, and if they got more people than you do, you know, they could, uh, you know, uh, take your stuff and kill you. So, uh, you want to make sure that uh, you know your 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 shelter is uh, at least somewhat concealed uh, from anyone that might uh, you know wander back through the woods. All right. So those would be the I guess the, the the few general things. Yeah, the few general things. All right. Well, that's a lot of information. Uh, and so, all right. So we we've addressed like what to do before. We've addressed what to do once you get there. Uh, what would you advise for a general lifestyle once once they're out there? Would you advise a community lifestyle, a hermit hermitage, some 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 sort of like um, you know partner situation? Uh, are we trying to rebuild any sort of society, or are we just trying to hunker down and wait until something happens? Well, I think that kind of largely depends upon personal preference. Uh, you know, for me, uh, I would I would probably prefer uh, you know some sort of a small uh, I guess a a, a small uh, I guess a, yeah a, some sort of a small community, uh, you know maybe five to ten people would 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 be you know ideal for me I think, 
Uh, some people would want something, you know, more, you know, more, more wide, uh, I guess, more widespread. Some people might want to do it themselves. I think that largely comes down to personal preference. Um, but additionally, it, it, I guess it also depends upon, you know, what situation we're talking about here. Is this something that's going to, uh, you know, destroy the, I guess, the first realm infrastructure? Uh, is it going to take down, you know, telecommunications or, uh, you know, cities are going to be abandoned? Uh, is there going to be, you know, you know, a large body count? Like this is something that's going to take a long time to recover from. If it is, then, then yeah, I think, uh, you know, some something like a, a second realm, you know, it's working with others to develop, uh, you know, infrastructure uh, might be good. Uh, if it's a short-term scenario, though, I mean, uh, that just depends. I mean, some people would bug out with their family. Some have, you know, uh, they have um, a network of safe houses that they, they, they uh, utilize with other people. Uh, I mean, uh, it just depends upon the length of the, uh, the length of the events. Uh, you know, is, is, are, are things going to return to normal soon? I guess would be the question to ask. So if if if, if the answer is no, then yeah, you'll you'll probably want to start you know making plans uh, you know for for more more long term things. And and one of those things would probably be uh, you know unless you unless you're so good at you know living in the wilderness that you can forage for all your own food uh, and be 100% self sufficient. But not a lot of people can do that. So uh, you'd probably at at, least at some point have to start trading with others. And I think that you know that that could definitely develop into some sort of a community, uh, some sort of a uh, you know an agora per se. Uh, that 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 you could have out there, and then yeah, if you want to start building infrastructure, you know, uh, I think that uh, that'd be an option as well. But but yeah, I think it generally comes down to you know how long is the expected disaster, and uh, when are things going to return to normal? So, but generally, you would recommend then to suit to to circumvent that to know people who are also prepping and maybe have shared goals in mind in terms of location and um, capabilities and things like that to do. Once the shit hits the fan, you would recommend as much as as much as possible not going it alone. Then, from what it sounds like, um, I mean, I, I for my personal preference, I'd probably I'd probably want to do it with others. I guess it just depends upon that luxury too. Uh, I mean, some people, you know, where where I am now, um, you know, if if I didn't have you know the bug allocation where I, where I have with with the people I'll be I'll be meeting there, then I wouldn't be able to find anyone that I want I'd want to bug out with. Uh, so sometimes it sometimes there's no choice at all. Uh, so that, that's kind of an unfortunate, uh, you know, uh, circumstance that may come about. Um, but uh, I guess as a recommendation, um, I mean, I, I think, uh, uh, again, I think it just comes down to individual preference. Uh, some people might, uh, you know, decide that, uh, you know, doing a, doing a community based thing would be better. Uh, you know, Rayo on the other hand, uh, it was basically, you know, 99% of the time, just him and Roberta, uh, out there in the woods. So they didn't have, there was no Vanu community, Vanu association that he wanted, he wanted to see that develop. Uh, but it just never did. So it it just depends upon, uh, you know, uh, what what people's individuals' preferences are, and if they're actually people that they would bug out with. Uh, because if you're going to be bugging out with somebody, you got to be able to trust them. You got to make sure that you you got to make sure you know the, uh, that uh, you got to make sure you know they're competent and capable of of you know uh, and, and a good resource to you, not just someone that's going to uh, you know bring you down. I guess uh, if you're going to be out there in extended uh, extended periods of time. Uh, but yeah, as far as a recommendation. Um, I don't really have a recommendation. It's just uh, uh, I have my own personal preferences, and uh, uh, some right. people might want to do you know a community thing. Some might uh, you know want to do it by themselves. So it just kind of comes down to that. Right. Just you know, when I have guests on, I want their perspective on what they personally would do because uh, you know if if somebody finds themselves nodding their head a lot with with like one guest like you, then maybe they might want to do what you want to do in that situation. And might maybe, mm-hmm, it, right. maybe it'd be like, you know, if Shane is willing to do this, then I'd probably also be willing to do this. So, you know, moment of rage right. should 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 get people in, in action mode 
as as it okay, were. Yeah. So I want people to have as many different possible perspectives as possible. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I guess I'm not going to go through my my entire plan here, but uh, we we have uh, some land in Southern Illinois, which is uh, you know wilderness, and uh, we've got people that we we go down there and camp and ride with now, uh, ride four wheelers. Um, and that's you know that's where that's where I'd be heading to the the little uh, I guess the little community we'd have down there. Um, cool. so, like an enclave. If, so yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mean, uh, depending upon who would uh, I, I, the 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 core folks that I, that I'm about 99 percent sure would all uh, would would all come. Uh, probably, probably, you know, five to seven people, uh, and anywhere up to about 10. Gotcha. So that would, so that would be, that's, that, that, you know, if I can, you know, make it down there, uh, you know, it's, it's about two hours South. So if I can make it down there, you know, without, without uh, access to the interstate, which I, I can, uh, just kind of de- depends upon, uh, it, it is a little, it is a little far. Um, so yeah, I guess one other recommendation on a bug out location is, you know, I, I don't know what the ideal distance is. You want to be far enough away from the city where people can't find you easily. But at the same time, you want to make sure you can get there easily if you need to. So, uh, two hours might be a little far, uh, and especially if especially if uh, it requires you know interstate uh, travel uh, that may uh, you know throw some uh, some gears and and the wrenches there. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, this uh, this is about the amount of time that we have. So I want to I want you to just uh, take your time on this last minute and. Uh, Remind my audience where they can find you and uh, what projects you're working on. Sure, sure. Well, thank you. Um, so the the, my, the the oldest podcast I do, Liberty Under Attack, uh, Liberty Under Attack Radio, uh, LibertyUnderAttack.com is the website for that. Uh, we talk about uh, you know direct action primarily, but we'll we'll get into some economics and some philosophical discussions here and there. Uh, there's the Vanu podcast, uh, and that's V as in Victor O and is in Nancy U podcast.com. Uh, and there we talk about, uh, you know, I mentioned radio and wilderness Vanu and what him and his uh, Freemate were doing. Uh, that's just one possibility when it comes to Vanu. There's things like uh, Vanuing in cities. There's intentional communities. There's seasteading. Uh, there's uh, van nomadism. It's called more more commonly known as van dwelling now. There are a lot of solutions under the, the Vanu umbrella. And basically anything that you do in your life to make yourself more vulnerable to coercion, uh, that makes you a Vanuan, whether or not you were familiar with the term before. So that's VanuPodcast.com. Uh, that's a weekly podcast as well. If you if you're intrigued by Rayo and uh, Vanu, I definitely recommend you check it out. The, the the podcasts are longer, but Kyle and I go into a lot of detail, excruciating detail, uh, to show you exactly how to go about doing some of these things, which will even come more into play uh, when we get to season three. And then the last one's uh, Marinia.org, M A R I N E A dot org, and that is uh, you know the project, uh, the season project. You can find uh, there's something called Ocean Living uh, Magazine, uh, where you know we write articles on seasteading and you know technology and, and all things that kind of come around to, around the subject. So uh, with that said, I definitely appreciate uh, the invitation to come on, uh, Jeremiah. It's been uh, great. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you so much for showing up. Because uh, one of the things is I want people to get mad, but I also want them to do something about it. So um, thanks for showing up, Shane and. Uh, As usual, everybody smash the state, educate your neighbors, and uh, get mad. This has been Moment of Rage with Jeremiah Harding, signing out.